Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Ayotsutsaimu, Ayotsutsaimu. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Burmese for Achtung, Achtung. That's my favourite already. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone appreciated my Haitian Creole rendition at the start of a recent show, but we're right back on core topic today. Um, James, how are you? James Holland, of course, ladies and gentlemen, historian extraordinaire. Uh, it, it, we're in my kitchen um, where all the good battles are fought. Um, yeah, it's a, and it's a fine kitchen as well. Thank you, James. Um, now, um, Burma, of course... Big subject because one of the things we've one of the things we've been doing lately is we've been kind of looking at what was going on 75 years ago. So particularly we built we built our Arnhem week in a bit around the seven, events 75 years ago. So what was happening 75 years ago in Burma? Well, this time so where are we now? We're now in October, of, aren't we? You're into the, the end of the fighting season, aren't you? Because because you know, like it or not, I mean, it's the case in Western Europe. There's a fighting season that by, by this time of the year, by October, things are slowing down. The nights are getting longer. The weather's getting much, much worse, you pass the equinox. That must be the same in the in the Far East as well. Yeah, funny enough, I mean, we're, we're just emerging out of the monsoon season. So monsoon season in Burma, northwest Europe, um, northwest, northeast India, rather, is kind of sort of May to November time, something like that. Right. So we're just kind of emerging out of that. And of course, um, in, in the case of 14th Army, which um, uh, General, General, as he was at that point, Slim, um, is commander of, um, they've had their huge success at the Battle of Imphal, this absolutely, which has just crushed the Japanese 15th Army. Yep. And they're now moving into back into Burma. So the whole point was, you know, Sim's point of the Battle of Imphal was, was to, to not just defend northeast India, it was to absolutely crush. Bring to the, battle and destroy the Japanese army. Bring to battle and destroy the Japanese army. And he does that very successfully. It leads to the Road of Bones, which was the title of Fergal Keane's book about Kohima. Yeah. And that's because as they retreated, they were starving, they were already ill, and they just were left where they died as they poured back into Burma. And so um, Slim, although he hasn't got express authority to reconquer uh, or retake Burma, he is moving in. Yeah. And he's trying to get, he's angling for the kind of next big offensive, which is going to come in the spring of 1945. And that is going to be the kind of victory in Burma. And that's Mike Teela and Mandalay and all those those great victories and stuff. So not an awful lot is happening in October 1944, but an awful lot was happening or, or certainly uh, um, cerebrally was happening in October 1943. So 76 years ago. Yeah. And I'm very conscious that in the in the podcast so far, we haven't done an awful lot about, you know, I've sort of mentioned Guadalcanal and so on, but we should definitely do a bit more about the war in the Far East. Yeah. And, and in, you know, and that period of October 1943 is really, really interesting because this is when Slim is acting commander of Eastern Army, as it is then. Yeah. And it's not till the 22nd of October that Mountbatten turns up at, at, um, Mount, um, at Slim's temporary headquarters in Barrackpur, which is a suburb north of Calcutta. And he's just flown, he's just become, Mountbatten has just become um, Supreme Allied Commander, Southeast Asia Commander, yeah. SIAC. Yeah. Um, and first thing he's done is gone to see Chiang Kai-shek in, in China. And um, then he's on his way back to Delhi. He's called in at Barrackpur to see, see Slim. 
Um, and he has a long chat, and they talk about all the things that have, you know, not gone right for, for the Eastern Army, which are legion. Which is everything. Which is it's everything. everything. Been, I mean, so let's just recap. They've been kicked out of Burma. Yeah. They blow up the Sitang Bridge before they get half the army across yep. it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute, it's a catalogue of chaos and disaster. And even the attempt, so, because we've had our first Chindit expedition by this point. Yeah, we? that's spring of 1943. Even, that's a, even that, I mean, it's heroic and all that, but yeah. it's... it's a, Doesn't achieve a lot. It's a shit show. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I think that we've got, I've got a, we are definitely in my house. That's the plumber upstairs. I've got a problem with the, one of the toilets. <laughs> Um, uh, um, well, they, my point is that Slim had a bit more problem than on his hands than just a faulty toilet, to be honest. <laughs> you know, out in uh, out in North in Bengal, as it then was. And what's happened is they've then tried to reconquer, go into the um, into the Arakan, which is now Rohin State. You know, that's where yeah. all the Rohingyas are having their terrible time of it at the moment. So that is northwest Burma, south of what is now Bangladesh, yeah. what was then. Bengal, and you've had Bengal. second Arakan as well, by yeah. Day. So that's a, that's so, the second Arakan offensive, and and um, uh, that's the first Arakan offensive yeah. in, 19, in in the sort of late winter, early part of 1943, when General Noel Irwin is in charge of Eastern Army, and yeah. it's an absolute shower. It's a day block. And what he does is he comes up against Japanese defensive positions, which have been dug into the hills um, uh, around Mungdor and, and Bufidang. And uh, which is sort of key villages, stroke towns in, in that part of, um, of, of um, the Arakan. And he just keeps chucking one after another infantry battalions at this. It just gets absolutely nowhere. Then he tries to blame everybody else but himself. Um, tries to put all the blame on Slim, even though Slim's only come in right at the very end. The most part has been there as an observer. Um, and actually gets his comeuppance, gets fired. And in that firing... Slim is made temporary acting commander of Eastern uh, Eastern Army, and, yeah. and there's, everything's sort of on hold because it's the summer, it's the monsoon, it's absolutely hoofing it down with rain. No, the Japanese aren't interested in fighting. British but, British have got retired back into into Southern Bengal to lick their wounds, and so there is this time to actually just take stock. But you also haven't at this quite this point the autumn of. 43 you haven't quite had the training shakedown about jungle jungle fighting yet either yet that's about to happen is or it's it's, so it's happening this is, so the okay. book the jungle book hasn't quite been written yet or hasn't right. so, hasn't gone down all the way through and so morale isn't you know the the, the the way of joining up the fighting and everyone having the same doctrine so there hasn't been the doctrinal shakedown that had to happen because basically up till this point You've got this. You, you've got this idea that the Japanese are better at fighting in the jungle. I mean, they are, but but it's because they've they've figured out how to do it r- rather than r- you know the, 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 basically conceptually get this idea coming through that the jungle's neutral. The jungle's the jungle's uh, as difficult for both sides to deal with as the other. And what you've got to do is rethink actually how you fight the Japanese, not the jungle. Yeah. And you you take the you take the jungle into account. It's the thing they've they've not done so far and, and there's been this thing of trying to fight on roadblocks and the Japanese circumventing the roadblocks and then when the Japanese are dug in it's how you actually deal with that and how you deal with the environment you're in and all that sort of thing which just hasn't had, hasn't happened yet has it no. uh, uh, organisationally and, and you know you've still got that old British army and Indian army thing of of the, of the trainings left basically to each divisional commander and because after all he may be in Malta next year he may be in he may be uh in Norway the next he doesn't know so there's no point in him training anyone or having a doctrine so this this yes. is where this is where Noel has gone before, completely yeah. wrong because basically he's treating the treating the Arakan offensive like 
he's in Normandy. Yeah. Uh, or, or, France, or North Africa. Well, Flanders, a, lot of people, Africa. a lot of people come not, from North so Africa. So he's, yeah. he's treating it as what we would call symmetrical warfare, yeah. whereas what needs to be done is asymmetrical warfare. And actually, Alexander, who has been... Who you know helicoptered in effectively? Obviously, no helicopter at that point, but you know what I mean. Uh, he has sort of been, been flown in to take command of the retreat of of the Burma Corps out of out of um, uh, uh, the British out of Burma. Yeah, and, and Slim has been pulled out of Iraq. And he's been in East Africa to start off, and then Iraq. He's been pulled out of that to, to help take command of the Burma Corps. Yeah, he gets so Alexander and Slim are working together in 1942 in the retreat of uh, out, out of Burma. And at the end of that campaign, um, having got the, the, the British safely back across Irrawaddy, yeah. Alexander is then pulled out and becomes commander-in-chief of the Middle East and goes to Cairo. But he writes his dispatch and writes his report. And one of the things he says, what we've got to sort out is air power. And what you've got to realise is you've just got to hold your ground. The yeah. Japanese, they win and they're doing well by, um, taking, by, by, by travelling lightly and capturing... And then feeding off what they capture. Yeah. If you can deny them that, you're going to be fine. In a kind and, of, and, in and an, that's what that is a message that isn't passed down to Noel Irwin, yeah. but it's something that that Slim absolutely gets. And what Slim recognises in this, as the rain is hoofing down on Barrackpore, and Barrackpore is this ancient. I mean, the, the house he is in is the original uh, um, uh, uh, um, sort of viceregal lodge right. for India before Delhi, but New Delhi becomes the new capital of the Raj. Um, so it's a very, very grand building. It's, in, it's surrounded by this incredibly impoverished suburbs of, of northern Calcutta. Um, it's right on the banks of the Hooghly River. It's incredibly hot. It's incredibly steamy. It's a beautiful, beautiful sort of Palladian building with yeah. sort of marble floors and all the rest of it. Just as you, you can just picture it. Um, and, but it's sort of stultifying because you're not near the front. You're stuck in this, this sort of suburb. This is not the place to be a general. And as the rain is hooping down and, and, and Slim is there, he sort of thinks, OK, I, this just whole thing needs a massive, massive rethink. And first of all, he starts to go, OK, so what are the problems here? And you're absolutely right. Training is one of the four big problems that he <coughs> identifies. And he says, you know, every cook, every truck driver has to be trained exactly the same way. It's no good just the infantry battalions. Everyone has to be able to do do this. And part of that jungle training, as you absolutely point out, is making sure that the jungle is not your enemy, it's your friend. Yeah. You know, it's learning camouflage techniques. It's recognising that actually there is no such thing as a front line as such. That you can you can use this to your advantage. You can get behind the Japanese. You can surround them. You, you, you can move through with stealth. You know, you might find it terrifying. We'll turn it on its back and make it terrifying for the Japanese. Yeah. So he does that very effectively. So that's one of the things that, that one of the ills that he recognises that needs to be sorted out and sorted out PDQ. The second one is just the huge logistics involved. I mean, the, the front is, you know, a thousand miles. It's incredibly difficult to get to. I mean, if you, you think it's sort of hard moving around Italy in the winter of 1943-44 like Spike Milligan is doing, yeah. you know, try going up to kind of northeast India and the Burmese border. I mean, it's absolute horror story. And there's just no metal roads. There's no, there's no means of making asphalt roads or anything like that. So what do you do? Um, you, you've got half a million men in the army all need feeding there's 30 different ration scales yeah you know because there's Rajputs there's Nepalese there's you know Marathis there's Scousers there's yep. Jocks there's guys from Essex you know I mean literally um, there's, there's Kentish men and yep. men of Kent etc etc they all need different food so you've got to sort all that out and how do you how do you, how do you logistically get that on top of that in 1943 there was a Bengal famine which kills you know 
couple of million people. A couple of million people. Um, And part of the reasons for that is because power has been devolved to a number of the Indian states and they're refusing to kind of uh, bail out um, Bengal with supplies. So supplies are not really getting through. Um, I mean, it's it's obviously a sort of gargantuan human tragedy, but from Slim's point of view, it also isn't helping him either. (laughs) Uh, 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 So you've got that logistics. So one of the things he does is, is, for example, he gets Chinese people in to come and rear ducks in the Imphal Plain. They put over something like 168,000 acres um, to uh, to agriculture and farming and vegetable plots um, to feed the army up on the Imphal front, which is kind of, you know, 800 miles from from yeah. where they are in in Calcutta um then he gets he builds a he gets a whole load of guys workers from tea plantations to build a brick road down from from yeah. um Chittagong down to the yeah. to the Arakan front because there is no road um uh, and so he sort of solves those kind of problems bit by bit. He gets a guy called Alf Snelling, who was his um his sort of adjutant quartermaster general in um in Iraq and who's in a incredibly competent person and he goes okay i just need you to solve my logistical problems uh, and he does do that um the other so so one of them is logistics one of them is training the other one the third problem is illness yeah so in 1943 for every single battle casualty there are 120 to illness yeah Okay, and it's not just malaria, it's dengue fever, it's, it's typhus, it's, you know, it's dysentery. Yes, it's... I remember reading a, a stat for the following year, for October of 44, of something like there being 600 battle casualties, but a quarter of a million people with malaria. Correct. And one of the problems is, Which of course... Is just, is, what? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> Sorry? It's, it's insane. I, I, so I can't get my head around that. 81% of the army per year are getting malaria. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and that's a disease you have. That's a disease that can that can you can relapse on any time. Any time. Uh, that, that that they haven't got modern medicines like malarone that, that we have now, and the th- the thing that uh, does stop the parasite. Well, it's just started to come in. It's been called yeah, mepocrine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that is just starting to come in. So what he rec- the, the other thing he recognises is that they're all having a completely shit time. Yeah. You know, they're losing. It's the jungle. It's miserable. It's hot. They're getting ill. No one wants to be there. No one. No one's interested in fighting sort of mad Japanese who want to yeah. sort of crucify them against trees and use yeah. them as bayonet practice. Yeah. Can't really blame them. So they're saying, "Great, I've got malaria." Let's go yeah, to Calcutta yeah, yeah, then yeah, for yeah, three yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he thinks, actually, no, forget that. You know, what we'll do is we'll put up these these malaria forward treatment units and we'll set them up and they'll be just a couple of miles behind the line and we'll send all our doctors forward and, you know, 10 days, you know, on a bed and they're usually okay again. He went back to the front yeah. and we'll make sure they all have mepocrine. And, you know, and I will, I will sack a junior subaltern if, on a spot check, any one of his men in his platoon hasn't taken his mepocrine. Yeah. And, did and he it worked. Malaria himself, Slim. He did. Didn't oh, he? he did. Yeah. He did in forty-four. And, and he got. He? And he got worse. He had, a, than that. he had a rule, didn't you? You weren't allowed. You weren't allowed to have a bath or a shower after dark. That mm. was his. That was one of his malaria rules. And, and he went out. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to have his sleeves own, down. Yeah, that's right. And he broke, broke his own rule and got malaria. That's right. Yeah. Then the fourth problem, the fourth ill he identifies, is one of morale. Yeah. And he thinks it's spiritual and intellectual. And this needs to be turned around. You know, spiritually, they need to feel that what they're doing is... is There, there is a cause for this. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the imperial Japanese are an ill, a bit like the Nazis, that yeah. has to be crushed. Um, intellectually, they need to feel that they're being supported. 
Yeah. You know, materially, they need to feel they're yeah. being supported. Yeah. And that they need to feel that actually they can, that the Japanese is not a Superman. But these, are, actually, all, but these are all these are all completely... These all tie together perfectly, don't they? Of course they do. Yeah. If you know your training's good, and if you know you can survive in the jungle, and if you know that you're going to be looked after if you get ill, and if you know that... That um, also that, that that there's discipline about taking care of yourself and all sort of thing. That's got, it shows the army cares about you. Yes, and it shows you you're not just an anonymous cog in an enormous uh, uh, faceless machine. They, it actually is trying to say you know trying to save your life. And there's a good reason to save your life because there's an enemy that needs dealing with. I yeah. mean, it takes us. I mean, you know, these things all. It, it's you know we talked about Jonathan Fennell's book a long time ago. Yeah. Um, these things all these things are all part of that jigsaw. Is that you can't you, you you can't work on morale unless you've worked on training, unless you've worked on health, yes. unless you've worked on supply, unless you fix the food supply, unless your officers are all singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. You can, none of those those you can't have all four things without they're mutually mutually reliant on each other and create Absolutely. something that's bigger than the greater than the sum of its parts, as it were. Absolutely. So the interesting thing about about so what happens is Mountbatten turns up on the twenty second of October, nineteen forty three. Yep calls in at Barrett-Poor, and they have a chat about this. And and, um, and Sim goes, well, no, it hasn't been going terribly well, and this is what I think needs to be done. And, and Mountbatten basically goes, I like you. I want you to be my, my army commander. And Sim goes, well, don't you think you need to kind of consult with, with Gifford, who's the army group commander, because yeah. it also includes Ceylon, now Sri Lanka. Yeah. Uh, and Mountbatten goes, no, I'm Supreme Allied Commander. I do what I like. No one tells me what to do. I'm, I'm Supreme Allied Commander. That's what Supreme Allied Commander means. <laughs> I want you to be my, my army commander. And Sim goes, well, you know, I'm flattered, sir. You know, that, that'd be great. But, you know, I think you might need to check that with the powers that be. And again, he just goes, absolutely no way, Jose. You know, I've made up my mind. You're my man. And he's absolutely spot on. It's one of the best things that Mountbatten does. He's absolutely just intuitively well, so gets far, it. On his Second World War track record, that is the best thing he's done. Yes, yes, because we, we, we should talk about the Dieppe raid another time. Dieppe and how many ships has he had sunk under him? Yeah, and also he was apparently incredibly loose-tongued. Yeah. So he was sort of absolutely yeah. notorious for kind of yeah. spilling the beans on everything. But anyway, uh, he, that appointment is made. And, and Slim says, one of the conditions he says says is, you know, I want, the, I want, I want your absolute support on everything I do. I, we need to go and talk to the troops. There's a morale component. We need to go out and then get there talking to people. I want you to back my appointments. And I also want to change the name. Eastern, Eastern Army... Those were the bad old days. This has got to have a new name, yep. new, new, you know, from now on, we only move forward. This is a bit like sort of Monty and Alex before yeah. Animate. Uh, and he goes, yeah, fine. He goes, so they call it 14th Army, and that's how 14th Army is born. Uh, and, and to cut a long story short, you know, it works spectacularly well. A rebrand. It's, it's a total rebranding, yeah. Yeah, it's no longer <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's KFC. <laughs> right, well, time for a short break. But don't worry, now Charmy Chammy. That's back soon to you and me. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. 
We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Well, welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Yeah, and we've got a very good question here from Andy B, which, Al, I think you're going to like, actually. Okay. Um, excellent podcast, gents. Thank you very much. And long yes. may continue. Well, yes. Well, here, here. Uh, <laughs> my question is, what are your thoughts on Operation Varsity taking place? Only seven months after our... Operation Market Garden, hashtag we have ways. So, ah, uh, well, you know, Varsity. Well, well, Varsity. What is it? Varsity. When did it happen? Uh, March 24th. Um, it's uh, 1945. 1945. The airborne component of Operation Plunder, which is the British Second Army Group with an, Amer- an American army as well. I can't remember yep. which one. I can never remember which one. Ninth. Ninth, that's right. Crossing, Simpson. General crossing, Simpson. Simpson. Crossing the Rhine at Vaisal, which um, uh, was a place they thought about doing market actually at and Comet. They looked at Comet and then market again. They, it's one of the sort names of underlines just how so, little they've gone. Yeah, yeah, how, how far they haven't gone. Yeah. But my my immediate gut reaction to this question is only seven months, I've asked you only seven months after market garden, is, is it is something I think is quite interesting. Is we, we, with the glorious benefit of hindsight, can say that market garden... Was was you know we we I think we got to the, came to the conclusion worth worth a punt high risk but worth a punt you can see if you try and take off your hindsight goggles why they did it what led them to do it you can see where it went wrong and all that sort of stuff what's quite clear is only seven months after Operation Market Garden it was quite clear that Allied planners thought airborne operations are absolutely worth a go we've got the gear we've got the people let's just do them and 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 rather than being put off by the calamity of Market Garden. They're actually encouraged to, to say, this is a workable way of doing things. I mean, it's a thing, again, we talked about with Market Garden, is actually how close Market Garden is to success. You know, even with all the things that go wrong, it's still it's within within a gnat's kneecap of coming off, right? So that so you you could look at the, what Varsity demonstrates is that, is that, you know, the Allied, first Allied Airborne Army, Allied planners, um, Allied Airborne people, and also the, uh, the, the people who didn't understand how airborne operations work, which is which is Montgomery, Dempsey, the people down from there, and arguably Eisenhower as well, who after all gave Market Garden the thumbs up in the first place, they think, well, we'll brush ourselves down, we'll learn the lessons, and we'll, d- we'll do it again because we've got this in our toolbox. We'll jolly well use it. And there are some lessons that are learned. First of well, all, they don't put them quite so far ahead of well, the advancing armies. And secondly, yeah. 
one lift. But that's two. the. But that's the. That is the. If you want, if the the main lesson from Arnhem is the single lift, right? There's there's a th- another division that they were gonna they were gonna use a third airborne division they're gonna okay. use. They had one look. They thought we can't get them all in in one go, so we won't bother okay. with it. So it's it's, so it's, it's, we'll it's do, 18th Airborne Corps, isn't it? Which is the Americans. Yes, yeah, so the, the Americans of Ridgeway, who 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 had been looking up, who had been 101st, is then moved up to uh, having an American Corps. Cool. So all the American Airborne divisions are in a corps. So 17th, 82nd, 101st, and then I can never remember the fourth one. That, 12th, is it? I think it's the 12th, who, who, who basically, they just are on the bench for the whole of the war. 17th have been raised in 43, spent a long time training in America, and were used for a lot of sort of experimental exercise and stuff. Weren't, weren't part of the sort of combat, um, the pointy bit of, of Airborne. But but after Market Garden, they're brought to Europe and they're based in France and they do varsity out of out of France. So on a different air plan, completely different air plan and different concept to, to what you've seen at Market, which is, you know, the, one of the problems with Market is how how far it is from how far Arnhem is from England. So you've yep. got much bigger turnaround times. That's why they can only that's why they can't do two lifts in a day. So the, the big lesson is, well, if we can only do one lift, we'll only use the two divisions, yep. which is. You know, arguably, if you'd done that at Arnhem and only you and thought, well, well, we could only use one lift, then your air landing brigade that you can send in on day one of Arnhem goes to the bridge rather than sits around Wolfhazer and Rainco, Wait, waiting for protecting the next exactly loss. guarding the guarding the drop zones for the next loss. Even even having to move further away from the bridge to guard the Ginkle Hyde like the King's Own Scots Border Seven Cosby had to do. So anyway, so the big, the really, really, really big lesson is one lift. And they do that. It's the biggest single lift six in the war. Six Airborne, British Six, six Airborne. British Six last Airborne. Last seen over, over Normandy. Well, no, last seen in the bulge, actually. Oh, yes, the line. Yes, they were, yes, they were, yes, They yes. were bussed into to yeah. the Ardennes to shorten the, help shorten the line and provide the shoulder for the German army to break on while the Americans sorted yep. themselves out. So they, 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 they've been used as kind of fire brigade. And 17, the US 17th Airborne had also been, had also been sent into the line at the, in the bulge battle. So they're, they're, but they're, but they're, you know, they're, They've been reconfigured and they've got the replacements and they're sent in one lift. So it's 16,000 people in one lift in one day. Biggest ever single first day airborne lift operation. It's monstrous, isn't it? It's gigantic. And, you know, when people talk about Market Garden being the biggest ever, yeah, up to that point. And then, and then they do, you know, you do something even bigger because after all, first day Market Garden, you aren't landing three divisions. You're landing components of three divisions. So actually it works out as less people. Um, so... But they're only over the other side of the Rhine. There's high ground above Vaisal. And, uh, and there's this forest, isn't there? Yes, there's forest. And, and I've been there. Have you been there yet? No. Right, brilliant. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's forest, but it's, it's forestry. It's not... It's not um, it, so you've got these huge sort of football pitch-sized clearings in the forest right. that are rectangular. And the German guns... That's where they are. Were, ...are in the forest. Yep. And it's, it's, it's anti-aircraft guns and it's, and it's artillery, because after all, it's 88s. Which are which are doing both jobs, or uh, or, or three jobs if you want, and yep. um, and so what's decided? The other great lesson of Arnhem is that well, we'll land on the guns then. If there's flak where we're trying to get to, what we won't do is land three miles away and form up in a jolly battalion and then we'll just land right we'll on land right, right on top of the guns. So they well, land. We're going to take some hits, but we know yeah, that. So eight para eight eight para battalion are in. They go in first. <clears throat> And literally land in a, in this clearing where there's guns on each corner of the clearing, and land on the guns 
and take the guns. Then the air landing people, their job is to take a series of railway crossings and bridges. Bridges over the River Issel. Yeah, the River Issel and uh, at Hamilkeln. There's a railway crossing all sorts of stuff as well. And the big plan there, and we're about to come in, we're about to run into lessons not learned. What they thought was a lesson learned from Arnhem, but actually wasn't. It's what we're about to run into. What they did there is... Guy Chatterton, who was head of the glider pilot regiment, who'd flown Browning into Nijmegen in September, so had got out. So he was one of the glider pilots who got out of Market Garden. Who's also in Sicily. He's also in Sicily. And so he's the glider He's the glider guy. He says, well, we have to do coup de main. Worked in Normandy, we have to do coup de main. This is a perfect chance for us to do. We have to do coup de main operations to take these, um, uh, these crossings and br- bridges and all that. And we have to do it like we did in Normandy because that's the way this works, right? So that means... That means gliders. Gliders that land right on top of the things that they're supposed to, the men in the gliders are meant to capture. Now, the, the problem is, is here's your lesson not learned, is first Allied Airborne Army is still not talking to Second Army Group and Second Army's planners properly. Because there's a five-day smoke screen at Vesel, right, that's pumped across the river so that the Germans can't see what's going on on the other side of the river as the one and a half million man operation with, you know, and that's including its tail, forms up on that on the on the British side of the Rhine and the 30,000 Germans the other side. Obviously, like 17 sh- divisions. Shit sh- their pants, right? But basically, but the idea is there's a smoke cloud and six airborne don't know about this smoke cloud, that the glider planners haven't been told that somehow along the way... It's just been left It's just off not been communicated to them. So, so you get these gliders releasing over. Uh, you, you get the, you know, and obviously the thing we talked about in Market Garden, and and it goes back to Sicily, is each year the air, the transport air crews, they get better, and they get, and they, and they too, they too digest the lessons of the airborne operations they've been on, and the so the transport command people and the American transport people are better at delivering people to drop zones than they were the, the autumn before, and better than they were in the summer of forty four, better than they were in the summer of forty three. But if there's an enormous five-day smoke screen... You can't do much about you it. You can't do much about it. So the Kudamans in general don't come off because they can't see... see the, what they're doing. They can't see what they're doing. And it's because still someone has not got that communication worked out properly. So so Vasti is simultaneously this, like... Um, you know, great great digestion of the lessons of Arnhem and all that. And, and not. The, and, and also... Not and some very basic screw ups, but but the you know the big lesson, the big 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 lesson learned is you know they're relieved within twenty four hours. Yep. The 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 Royal Marines are it's mainly it's it's or it's commandos, army commanders and marine commandos, and then, you know there's Royal Navy land, landing craft are brought to the Rhine to yeah, do yeah, the crossing, yeah. and you've got. But it's successful, isn't it? I mean, they they capture well, all the bridges, they totally, get the railway totally lines, successful. they but very but but and they land in the forest, but I yes, mean, but a casualty rate not not. Too far off Arnhem in terms of men killed. It's about, I mean, about a thousand, isn't it's it? About a thousand, and Arnhem's what fifteen, sixteen hundred yep. killed. So not that far off it. I mean, the main difference is six and a half thousand people aren't taken prisoner, like like in Arnhem. So yeah, yeah, the other the other thing is seven and a half, seven seven hundred six airborne land in in this, and, and you know fifteen hundred a thousand people are killed. That's 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 pretty high. And then they go into the line, and then they go all the way to the Baltic. Yeah, but. But as I understood it, the the casualties are expected to be higher than they actually. Oh yeah, are. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do achieve all they expect. So, to be so one of the one of the criticisms about about plunder and varsity is it's kind of overkill. It's overkill. It's way too big, way too big. Uh, and 
Again, I think that's just being a little bit wise off the event. Now, there is this episode that the American historians always love to show, love to show and, and uh, the Monty haters always love to show, that, that General Simpson, who is spectacularly competent and, yep. and completely forgotten now, he's the guy who captures the Ruhr um, in an envelopment, and it's a brilliant operation yep. with his Ninth Army. And he is really, really super competent. But he comes a, um, a couple of, um, of weeks before um, uh, Vasti and Plunder and says to Monty, look, I reckon I can get across here at Erdingen. Uh, and I reckon get, I can get across here and I can do it really easily yeah. without having the whole weight of yeah. 21st Army Group behind it. You know, what do you reckon? And Monty goes, absolutely no way. Um, we're going to do, do it by the by book. The book. And, and this is sort of, you know, this is where all the criticism about the lack of kind of flab, you know, methodical, all yeah. the rest of it. But let's not forget where we are. Let's not forget also the fact that for 21st Army Group, 2nd Army and the Canadians, you know, the Reichswald just to the east of Nijmegen, you know, that, that, yeah. that General Gavin was so worried about when the 82nd Airborne dropped in on, on Market Garden, um, has been a bit like the Hurtgen Forest was yeah, it's for the Americans. Grinder, yeah. It's been an absolute meat grinder. They haven't gone very far. It's taken them a hell of a long time to get through this. And it's all very well saying... Yeah, we've heard that the Germans aren't, you know, that well defended here and all the rest of it. You still got to get across the Rhine. That's a major, major obstacle. Yeah, everything has, you know, so much has shown them that the Germans still have got some fight in them. And you, and actually, I'm actually a proponent of the broad front strategy. I think it's, I think it suits their operational modus operandi. Yeah. and I think it's the most sensible way to make sure that you don't have vast numbers of of of, of casualties because although. The way the Allied armies are fighting is that there's actually the numbers at the front line and the actual tip of the spear are comparatively few. All through 1945, it's a total meat grinder for all of them. Yeah. I mean, the casualties are incredible. I mean, in April 1945, the Americans lose 10,500 men dead. You know, in the front line, that is an entire... That, that is that's a division. An, that is divisions of... That's a fighting force of division killed in one month in April 1945. So if there's a bit of caution and you've got all this stuff, and don't forget, it's really, really important that Monty and the British are there in the final phase yeah, of the yeah, war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, political considerations do come into it. Yeah. I think going for plunder, going for varsity is entirely justified. And the other thing is, yes, it was easy getting across the River Rhine, and I know the troops got across, across easily first, yeah. but had those guns not been neutralised, had the Germans blown up those bridges, then they'd have got stuck. Yeah, yeah. And you've got these airborne forces, you might as well use them. I, yeah. I just, I, I don't well, think the criticisms the, are quite as valid well, no, as... Well, no, and also, but it also shows that Arnhem didn't deter anybody from using them. That you, no. you, the airborne remains a viable weapon, even after what is now seen as a sort of paradigmatic cock-up, yeah. is that actually... Actually, it, it, it's thought, no, no. This 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 does this does work. We just we just need to apply it more sensibly. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's vasty. Vasty sort of comes as a kind of footnote. But if you're if you were in Six Airborne, uh, it's no footnote. It, it, it's as a hair raising an operation as anything they anyone had ever done. It's a it's that thing of uh, with a high casualty rate. I mean, landing landing on guns, and I'm you know back in the day met a couple of people who were there. And their stories are as, as as horrifying as anything out of Arnhem. That, that, that you know you're actually landing on the German positions. The Germans reacting, and 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 again, it's that thing of that those Germans in late March 1945. They weren't they weren't throwing in the towel, and they weren't they weren't get ready to surrender. They were there to fight to the last round. A lot of them. So yeah, you, So you've got that going on as much yeah, as anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. No, I, th- I think it's entirely justified, personally. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also think criticism of the American... Well, we can talk about this another time, but, but yeah. you know, criticism of Hodges and all the rest of it. I, I, I think... I really, really do think the broad front strategy is is probably the correct one yeah. because of the way we've set ourselves up. It's not as... It's Once not as, Market Garden hasn't come off, of course. Let, let, let's leave that... Let's leave yeah. the door open to the, to the pencil-like thrust. Come on. Yeah, no, no, I agree. But, 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 but you know, once, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. once that situation has arisen, yeah. that's the way to go. Yeah. Well, we started the show in the steaming jungles of Burma, or Myanmar, as it's now known, and we ended up talking about the Rhine in a chilly corner of Chiswick. You get some serious air miles listening to this show. Um, that's all we've got time for today. Remember, we're twice weekly this month. I hope it's not playing havoc with your schedules. Yep, keep in touch, everyone. All regular comm systems are fully operational. Twitter, hashtag we have ways. And of course, there's the, the, the yeah, for the old and the very young, <laughs> you can use uh, the email we have ways podcast at gmail.com. See you all soon. Cheerio. Ta-ra.